years, actually, since I've come to, to visit you. Uh, in the meantime, what's happened? I've lost more hair, put on more weight. Um, my children are growing up. We've got four children, two birth children, two adopted uh, sons as well. I've got an adopted daughter-in-law as well now because my son's got married. Uh, so that's all happened. Uh, he's, uh, he's scary now, my eldest son. He's an armed police officer, so he's, uh, he runs around with fast cars, a uniform, and guns, and uh, chases baddies. And uh, my daughter... Uh, is, a, is a baker. She's uh, really enjoying doing that. And so I always say now, I've got one who bakes goodies and one who chases baddies. Uh, so I've got, I've got one of each. Uh, it does my, he, he always comes back from work with horror stories, though, my, my eldest son. They were doing a training exercise. Basically, he's, he's kind of in the kind of finding and chasing terrorists and all that kind of thing. And uh, they did this exercise where four of them have to wait in a room until they get a call, and then they have to run and pile into this big four-wheel drive thing and shoot somewhere where they're supposed to go and, and hidden somewhere will be this terrorist and they all have to take up a position, uh, um, you know, get out of the car with their guns and they have to shout their call to make sure they're all in position and they were, there were four of them in the car. My son was driving so he was x-ray one, there's x-ray two in the passenger seat, x-ray three and x-ray four. So they're sat in the room and the call comes through so they get in this vehicle, they tear across to where they're supposed to be and they all rush out, they all take up their positions, x-ray one, x-ray two, x-ray three, and then there's nothing from x-ray four, and they look back, and he's in the car, they've forgotten to take the child lock off the car, he's banging on, the <laughs> banging on the window, there we are, there we are, at that point the terrorist got the giggles and came out and just said, I can't do this anymore, so it's all good fun, it's all good fun, it's nice to know our country's in safe hands, isn't it, um, I was blind, but now I see, you recognise those words, don't you, I was blind, now, but now I see, familiar words? Sing them, they're sung apparently 10 million times around the world in any given year. Of course, they're words from John Newton's famous hymn, aren't they? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So we all know those, don't we? I wonder if you know the story behind it, really, because John Newton himself... Um, was uh, a young man who'd been forced into the Navy when he was young. And uh, in the Navy, he, uh, after the, the Navy, he was involved in the Atlantic slave trade. And the captain of John Newton's ship said that he was the most foul-mouthed sailor he had ever sailed with. He said when he's run out of profanities, he invents new words to insult people with. That's the kind of foul-mouthed sailor he was. Uh, and in 1748, 1748, he was on a ship in the mid-Atlantic called the Greyhound. And when he was on the ship, a huge storm started to blow up, and they were far from, from land. And as the storm blew up, he was clinging to the railings on the deck. And he moved along the railings on the deck, and one of his colleagues took his place there. And at that moment, a huge wave came over and overtook the deck and swept the other sailor, straight off the deck and into the ocean. He was never found. And, and John Newton was stood there and suddenly realized it, it could have been him. And his life was in mortal danger. And in that moment of sheer horror and sheer panic, he did something unusual for a, for a, for a foul sailor. He said, God, have mercy on me. He actually cried out to God in that moment of terror. And incredibly... The storm began to still, and some two weeks later, the ship that was battered and smashed to pieces, and all the sailors starving hung hungry, 
limped into a bay in Ireland, and they survived. And looking back, John Newton always said that that was the moment, that was the moment that he cried out to God. That was the moment that he first believed. And his life was changed from that moment on the deck in the middle of the Atlantic. And he, it changed his life. He went on to study Greek and then Latin and theology. He became a minister. And in 1773, he was just getting ready for the evening prayer meeting in his church. And he was getting ready for the evening prayer meeting. And he wanted to kind of somehow put into a poem something inspirational, inspirational that would remind people of the day that God had rescued him. And he sat down and he wrote those words, Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So it was an inspiration, really, for his congregation, for their prayer meeting, to get them all praying to God. And so it's an autobiographical song, really, about him and about his encounter with God. And really, it's a song about the transforming power of God, which, which Newton had experienced from that moment on the deck right through to his own life and ministry. But it's interesting, that line, I was blind, but now I see. Oh, there he is, John Newton. Sorry, I'd missed him. It's either him or Princess Leia, one of the two. I'm not quite sure. (laughs) He's got a couple of cinnamon buns. I think wigs should come back, by the way. I'm going to make the case for wigs. I think they're jolly good for those of us that are follically challenged. But those words, actually, I was blind, but now I see, even though they were in John Newton's hymn, they actually come straight out of the pages of the New Testament. Another story. Let Let me have a look. Because in John chapter 9, we see a story of another person who had a similar encounter with God, who reached out to God in their moment of need, and God transformed their life as well. Now, it's an interesting story. It's a slightly strange story. It's funny in places. I find it amusing. I don't know. Sometimes I perhaps add a bit of subtext to it, and it just amuses me. But, but I'm going to read the chapter so that you can get into the story of John 9. And imagine this is Jesus is there. Jesus is walking along, and then, and then this happens. Okay. So, as he went along, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who'd formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, no, only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked him, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus. He made some mud, he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and I washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who'd been born blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he'd received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. 
But others asked, well, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they uttered, sorry, finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they sent for his parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Well, we know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, ask him, he's of age. A second time they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And then they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already. You didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his followers as well? (laughs) Then they hurled insults at him and said, you're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. (laughs) We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I might believe in him. Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man replied, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt, your guilt remains. So interesting story, isn't it? Quite an encounter. And I want to point to three things in that story there that changed. Or not necessarily three things that changed, but three things about the change. I want us to understand that it was a good change for the man. I want us to understand that it was a great change in terms of its magnitude. And I want us to understand that it was God change, in that only God could have done that. So this is where I'm heading. Firstly... It's a good change. Now, when I look at these points of change, we're going to consider them physically and spiritually. Because obviously it is 
a physical healing that's happening here. And a bit later on, we'll get a chance to pray for people who are sick, whether it's during the meeting here or during the lunch or any time. I love to pray for people when they're sick or ill or injured. We've seen, seen so many wonderful healings over the years. I'd love to pray for you if that's you. And this is obviously about a physical healing, but it's also pointing to a much bigger spiritual reality as well. It's about a spiritual transformation, a spiritual change when this man encountered Jesus. He went from being blind to being able to see, but he also went from being not a believer to looking at Jesus and saying, Lord, I believe. So there's a a spiritual transformation that's gone here. So we're looking at it physically and spiritually. So it was a good change. It did him good. Just, just remember, the man in the story, all his life, from the time he first came out of his mother's womb, he has been blind. His whole life has been in darkness. We know that. The man said that. His own parents verified that when those cynical Pharisees were trying to investigate this thing. They were basically just trying to prove Jesus a fraud so they could undermine his ministry and get rid of him. But they all said that he'd been born blind. And we've got to understand what this man's life was like. He'd he'd never seen the faces of those parents that were there testifying about him. Those parents that had so lovingly raised him. He'd never woken up to look out of the window and see the sun rising over the hills. He'd never laid out under the night sky and looked up and tried to count the stars. He'd never seen the beauty of the flowers coming after the spring rains. He'd never seen anything, anything. All he'd ever seen his whole life had been darkness. And then we get this very first verse. It's profound, this. Where it just says, Jesus saw him. A man who'd never seen anything, Jesus saw him. You see, I think there's something wonderful about this. You know, there's several examples of this in the Scriptures. When There was a, one time when Jesus, I was reading it just this morning in my Bible, there was a time when Jesus came across a, a guy who was young and rich and had loads of kind of idols in his life. And, and it, it very simply says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, why is that so important? Well, it's important because this man's done nothing to contribute to Jesus or his ministry. And yet Jesus identifies him and singles him out. And that means for all of us today, it's exactly the same. Jesus sees you. He saw you when you got up this morning. He saw what went on at home. He saw the challenge. He saw the trial. He saw the joy. He sees everything. And just like that rich young man that I spoke of, Jesus looks at you and loves you. You see, there is a heart of compassion running through this story Jesus isn't worried about getting trapped by the Pharisees. Ultimately, he wants to demonstrate his love for this man. And ultimately, that's what today is about, because he wants to demonstrate his love to you. You realize you're important to him. He can single you out because he sees you. And then Jesus says something quite profound in verse 5. Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, In any other context, that might just be a nice sentiment. But to a man who's only ever been in darkness, to hear that the man standing in front of him is not just going to bring him light, but is the light of the world. He's going to transform his darkness into light. He's going to change everything in every area of fear or doubt or suffering that this man has ever known. Jesus says, because I'm the light of the world, I can bring light into every part of this. That must have been an incredibly 
profound statement for him. It's a, it's a statement of intent. Jesus is saying, I'm going I'm to rid you of everything that has held you back. And I'm going to flood you with the most incredible light. I guess he didn't really even know what light was. But the anticipation, perhaps, might have been something that drew him. And then Jesus does something which, from, for an Englishman, it seems quite odd. He... he, he Spits in the mud, gets some mud, mixes it together. Now, I think at this point, I might feel a little bit like he was invading my personal space. I don't know. But he goes up to the man with this muddy, spitty mixture, and he rubs it on the man's eyes. Now, I think it's quite an unusual thing to do. You think, why did he do that? With... I mean, this is Jesus, the Son of God. Why didn't he just say, eyes be healed? It's interesting, isn't it? You think, you've got to look at this a little bit more and think, well, why, why did he do the muddy, spitty thing? That's, I don't know, maybe it's just me that asks those questions. You know, I don't take these things for granted. I think, why on earth? Do you know, I was doing some research because I thought, I want to know why. That. And there, there's some of the early church fathers. I don't know whether I agree with this or not, but it's a nice idea. Some of the early, you, you remember when God first created man? What did he create him out of? Mud. Mad, wasn't it? And then his spirit came. Spirit is air. It's also water. And so people have said that this is like a recreative act. So where he wasn't fully created in his mother's womb, where his eyes hadn't been fully formed and fully made, here Jesus was doing a recreative act, mixing together the, 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 the mud and the, the spit and creating new eyes. That's quite a nice idea, I think. But whatever it was... It must have been a strange experience, a little bit unsettling. He washes it off, and it simply says he came back seeing. Now, again, I'm like, whoa, hang on a minute. This man's been blind all his life. He's had a bit of mud, a bit of spit, and he came back seeing? Well, what did he see? Was it, was it clear? Was it black and white? Did he have full vision, peripheral vision? Did it come up on over, over a period? I mean, we don't get the detail. We just simply hear that he came back Seeing. I mean, I'd want to go up to him and say, look, how many fingers am I holding up? I can remember doing that. The first person I ever saw who was healed from, a bl from blind eyes, he'd been made blind by a stroke, been in hospital, and somebody went and grabbed him out of the hospital and brought him to church one morning. And so he was led up the aisle. And, uh, and I thought, oh, no. And the reason I wanted to pray for him was because the week before, I'd been to another church, and God had given me lots of... Um, Lots of words about people that he wanted to heal in that particular church. And one of them was about blind eyes being opened. And I'd prayed, I'd had 13 words for people, uh, and 12 of them were healed. But there was nobody who was blind. And so I'd put a note on uh, out at church saying, if anybody knows anybody, I feel like i got one to go. <laughs> and so this guy comes forward being led by a friend of mine called David to church on Sunday. And, and, and myself, David, another guy called David, we prayed for him. And I felt God say as we were praying for him, count to ten. Count to ten. So anyway, I counted to ten. And after a count of ten, his eyes were completely healed and he could see fully. 
But for me, I'm saying, what can you see? I'm, I'm like this. Come on, can you see everything? You turn around. Can you see the back of the room? Can you? I'm wanting to test it. I mean, he was thoroughly, I mean, he was amazed. He went home, wrote down everything that had happened to him, everything he felt, experienced, what God had done, how he would never forget that day, 23rd of July. You know, I've got two pages of his handwritten story of how his life's been transformed by this. I want the detail, but we don't get it there. And I guess the Pharisees wanted a bit more detail as well. Maybe that's a bit of Pharisee in me. <laughs> so they started questioning him. They're saying, was he a sinner? They said to the man who'd been born blind, was this man a sinner? And to be honest with you, the man who'd been born blind couldn't give us stuff. That's what he says. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't care. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Now, this is important. Why doesn't he care? Well, basically, because... What he needed was his eyesight sorted. Jesus met him completely at his point of need and dealt with that, the most immediate challenge he had. And again, that says something about Jesus to me. You know, Jesus wants to meet every one of us at our point of need. And so if today you've come in and you're immensely lonely, the thing that Jesus wants to do is put you in a family. And if you've come in today and you're sick, then Jesus wants to heal. And if you've come in today because you are genuinely wondering about life and, and, and God and all these questions of faith, Jesus wants to provide you with the answers. You see, he wants to meet you at your point of need. So he understands you, he sees you, and he wants to meet that need. So this is a good change. It's a good change. Now, I don't know about you, when I thought about becoming a Christian when I was younger, I, I, I wasn't convinced it was going to be a good change. You know, I, did, I saw Christians. Mostly you could see them coming. And it was the kind of, I don't know whether it was the clothes. Maybe it was the, the sock-sandal combo that you could see. Or maybe the rainbow strap guitar that was... I don't know what it was, but most... When I was young, this is, I'm being honest, when I was young, most of the Christians I came across were quite otherworldly, not like you lot, they were a bit kind of, a bit different, a bit weird, a bit wimpy, a bit strange. And it kind of put me off, and I thought, why on earth would I want to become one of them? But this guy was blind, and then he saw. And the reality was, when I was younger, I was blind too. I could never have seen what God was really like or what he would really do. And when I did finally become a Christian, I stepped over a line of faith and said, yeah, I want to be a believer in this. Absolutely, like, like this man, the lights came on. And I was open to a whole new reality. And I think up until that point, I thought, there must be something out there. There's got to be more than just what I'm doing, which is rubbish, just drugs and drinking and music and all that kind of stuff. There's got to be more than that. And of course there was. But just like this man, I was blind. And I guess for you, maybe that's where you are today. You know, maybe, maybe life's been okay, but you've just got that sense that there's got to be something more than just the same old, same old. Well, this is how we're described in the Bible when we're at that point. We're blind. We, we, it might be out there. We might have a sense of it. And some of our other senses might tell us that surely there's got to be more to life than this. Surely Donald Trump is not the pinnacle of creation. Surely there's got to be something beyond all of this human mess. And the reality is there is. There is. But we need our eyes opened to it. And it's an encounter with Jesus. 
that does that. So it's a good change. Let me just ask you a question. If you don't think it was a good change, imagine we had an interview with the man born blind now, after the incident. And we said, were you glad that you had this encounter with Jesus? What do you think he'd say? Yeah, of course. It was the best thing that's ever happened to me. You see, we can sometimes have that fear. Fear, what, what will change mean? What will it look like if I, if I did step over a line of faith and trust God with my life? Oh. You know, we can be like those two caterpillars that looked up a butterfly and said, you never get me up in one of those things. You know, we, 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 kinda, we, we miss out on what we were created for. We miss out on it. Here's a test. Now, okay, here's a test. This is for those of you already Christians in the room. Okay, if you're a Christian in the room and you regret becoming a Christian, just stand up for me. People don't do that, do they? They don't look back and go, oh, that was the worst thing I ever did. For those of you that are yet to become Christians, there's a little test for you. I've never regretted the day I encountered Jesus. Neither has anybody else. It's a good change. It's a good change. And at the end of what I want to say... I'm going to invite you to encounter Jesus for yourself as well. And you can experience this good change as well. It's also a great change. These last couple of points. It's a great change in terms of magnitude. Of course, this man had lived his whole life in darkness, and everybody saw the magnitude of the change. They saw the drama of it. The neighbors questioned him. The Pharisees questioned him. His parents questioned him. The Pharisees questioned him again. The, the, the change in him was so clear, so dramatic, so noticeable that everyone saw it. And, and it was going to mean a huge change for him. I mean, here's a man who's had to beg for his existence. He, he doesn't need to beg anymore. He can go out and get a job like everybody else. He can go and have a game of footy with his mates. He can, for the first time in his life, he can look at a pretty girl and go, cool. <laughs> his whole experience has been transformed. And his whole destiny has changed in one moment as his new life begins. You know, that's a physical change. But, but spiritually speaking, when somebody does step over a line of faith and becomes a Christian, an equally dramatic change takes place. The Bible says that when somebody becomes a Christian, they are a new creation. It says the old life has gone and a new one has come. So it's the start of a whole new life. And everything changes. Our priorities change, our habits change, but ultimately, and most importantly, our destiny changes as well. And it's a great change. Here's a one-liner for you. I don't normally give you one-liners. It's a great change because of a great exchange. Say that with me. It's a great change because of a great exchange. Exchange is a swap. Let me explain what I mean. Back in Isaiah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah said that we are all like sheep who have gone astray. We've all wandered off, gone our own way, done our own thing, wandered off from the plan of God. We've actually distanced ourselves from him. And Isaiah also said that our sins, our rebellion, our independence, our walking away has separated us from God. So all of us, all of us, like sheep have gone astray, our sins have separated us from God. So there's this challenge where all of us are missing out on an intimacy with God that all of us should have had from day one. 
In fact, later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, we've all sinned. There's another all there. So I'm, I'm talking to everybody here. We've all sinned and we fall short of God's standards, if you like, God's glory, God's perfection. Every single one of us. And then Paul goes on to say that there's a consequence of that. Because he said the consequences of that is death. He says the wages of sin, if you like, wages are what you get for what you do, aren't they? So if you work hard at work, you deserve your wages. Well, the wages that we get for being a sheep that's wandered away from God is ultimately forever separation. Death in the Bible always means separation. But death means final separation, eternal separation. So all of us have wandered off. All of us are separated from God. And it's a result of our own walking away, our own rebellion. But God provided an answer. You see, in that verse where I said the wages of sin is death, there's a turnaround in the middle of the sentence, the word but. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. So instead of wages, getting what we deserve, we get offered a gift, something we don't deserve. It's just a gift. It's just given. We can't earn it. Something God gives. Wages of sin is death, But the gift that comes from God is not death, but life, an everlasting life. You see, I look at this and I think, well, that sounds like a decent gift. Somebody said, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, didn't they? Why Why would I want to turn away the gift of eternal life? I mean, I love gifts. I absolutely love gifts. You know, when I get home and, you know, my wife sometimes comes to me and says, oh, I went out shopping today, got you a little present. You know, I don't know what it would be, a little chocolate or something like that, something nice, you know. I, just, I don't care what it is, but the fact that she's thought of me. I love, I love gifts. And here's the greatest gift ever. That even though I've rebelled and walked away from God my whole life, God offers me a gift. And it's the gift of forgiveness. And it's the gift of eternal life. You see, 1 Peter 2 verse 24 tells us why says of Jesus that he himself bore our sin in his body on the tree or the cross. So what that means is there's a swap that's taken place. Remember I said there's a great change because of a great exchange. He died, the wages of sin is death, he died instead of me. The theological term for it is substitutionary sacrifice. You'll know that because Matt will have taught you that. Okay, he substitutionary. He was sacrificed instead of me. My my wages, what I deserve, was death, but I'm swapping it for life. See, in the same way that this man swapped his blindness for beautiful sight, the day that I became a Christian, stepped over that line of faith, I swapped my sin and my death for his life and his love and his righteousness. I swapped my wounds for his healing, and I got the gift. That I never deserved. Everlasting life, forgiveness, joy. Wow. And his blessing on my life from that day to this. Why would you turn that gift down? I mean, that is amazing grace. That is amazing grace. And the guy in our story, he knew exactly who'd done this to him. He knew it was Jesus. He knew it was him. He said, nobody's ever heard of the opening, opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You see, he recognized 
that this was a God change. Okay, so it was a good change. It did him good. It was a great change. The magnitude of it was immense. I mean, if you think death and life, you can't get a bigger change than that. But it was only God that could have done this. And this man knew this. Nobody could have done it, he said, unless he were from God. See, there was a miraculous power at work, and he recognized it. It's interesting. Those of you that are Christians, you're like this. Jesus himself had said this in, in, in verse 4. See, listen to this verse for a moment. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Just get that for a minute. Jesus is saying, as long as it's day, while I'm here, we, speaking to all his followers, we must do the will of him who sent me. I think there's something really profound in there in terms of God including us in his mission. Jesus didn't say, as long as it's day, I must do the will of him who sent me. And we know he was obedient to his Father's will. But he said, as long as it's day, we must do the will of, who, will of him who sent me. Jesus is saying, come on, guys. You're included in my mission to set people free, to heal those who are sick, to share the good news with those who are lost, to love those who are unloved, to care for those who are broken. We must do the work of him who sent me. Wonderful verse for us that are already Christians, that we're included in this ministry of reconciliation and healing. That means that when any of you pray for somebody today, there's a chance that Jesus could just come and heal. Or whenever any of you share the good news of Jesus with your friends and your neighbors, anything could happen because you're doing the work of the, the Father who sent Jesus. So be included. But Jesus goes on and finds him. You see, this... This kind of became quite a bone of contention for the Pharisees, so much so that they got the guy and they chucked him out of the synagogue. Okay? Now, socially, that would have been quite a harsh thing for somebody to have done to them. Basically, it's saying, you are excluded, you are rejected, you are an outcast. So this man had been rejected by all those that he looked to for help and leadership, all those that he probably admired and aspired to be like, and they said, get out. And then you get these couple of verses. And I think the more I read these, the more these are becoming some of my favorite verses, unlikely, but some of my favorite verses in the Scriptures. Because Jesus, once this man has been thrown out of the synagogue, Jesus seeks him out and finds him and you get this beautiful conversation that we read between the man who's now healed and Jesus, his healer. Look at it for a few, few verses. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when, they, when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, You've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You see, this man had a revelation. He, he recognized who Jesus was. And he became a believer in that moment. He's actually seen who Jesus is. 
And you know, sometimes, I, this is the thing that I battle with, sometimes we can be so much more like the Pharisees. We can be the ones say, oh, I don't know. I don't think he could have done that. I don't think... You know, we'd rather do anything that be- than believe that there is an all-powerful supernatural God who can break into our lives. So we choose instead the pragmatic route. I certainly was like that as a young man. I would rather try and disprove anything than dare to believe that there was a God who loved me and cared for me. So something has to change along the way. Somehow we have to change from having that Pharisee attitude where we reject everything of God and we somehow have to have that revelation that this man had, that he is good, he is great, he is awesome, he is loving, he does seek me out, he does find me, he does see me, he does know me, he does understand me, and he does love me, and he does want to forgive me. How does that revelation happen when we're so hard of heart and we're like the Pharisees? Well, there's a great example in the Scriptures, actually, of a lady called Lydia. It just says she was sat by the riverbank. And it says very simply, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. You know, she didn't strive. She didn't do loads of research. She didn't go on the internet and say, is there a God? God did something in her. Something in her that opened her up to the possibility of a saviour. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've come today. And even as we've been singing, even as I've been sharing these words with you, What the Lord is doing is opening your heart. You see, he has to do that before you can make that step of faith and say, yeah, I I believe, like this man. Lord, I believe. Before you can become somebody who looks into the face of Jesus and becomes a worshipper, he first has to do a work in you. Otherwise, your heart is hard and cold and bolted shut. But if the Lord opens your heart today, then you can welcome him in. And you can make that great exchange. You can become a believer or a worshipper, maybe for the first time. You see, that's what this ha- happened to this man. He, he began a whole new adventure of this new life with Jesus. A whole new adventure. I'm just going to ask the band to come up, if that's okay. Because at the heart of this is that great exchange. That swap that took place. This man swapped his blindness for sight. And each of us can look to the cross and make that exchange as well. We can swap our rebellion and our Pharisee attitude. And we can allow the Lord to open our heart. So I'm going to ask us to stand together for a moment. I'm obviously going to be dashing off fairly shortly to speak at the other meeting. But, but before I go... I want to give you an opportunity to, to respond. And what we're going to do, there's two, two things I've mentioned today. One, obviously, this is a physical healing. This is a physical healing. And so when we start singing, we're actually going to sing Amazing Grace at the end, okay? Just so that's left ringing in our ears. And if you know that you want to be prayed for because you've got sickness, illness, injury, pain, physical, emotional, mental, okay, then why don't you, when we start singing, you come forward and some of the team will pray for you. And then if, if, if you're here at lunchtime, I'll come back and pray for you as well. Okay? So you get a double whammy. But, but, but just before we sing, I'd just like to give anyone that wants to an opportunity to make their own exchange. 
So maybe today you've heard this and you think, actually, why would I reject a gift of God? I don't want to be blind. I don't want death. I want to choose life. I want to choose to follow. So can we just bow our heads for a moment? And if you'd like to make that exchange, very simply, I'm not going to ask you to come out. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that. Very simply, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand in a moment. And if you want, want, want to, I will just pray very quickly from the front here. And then maybe you can chat to somebody afterwards who's, who's brought you uh, and just explain that you want some help from here on in. Okay, so if that's you, I'd like you, when I get to three, I'd like you just to raise your hand so that I can just say, well done, okay? And then you can put it down again, okay? One, two, three. You just raise your hand if that's you. Thank you. Well done. Okay, is there anybody else? Okay, let's just wait for a moment. Sometimes this is a big moment because we're trusting Jesus with stuff here. Okay? Well done, you three. Well done. I'd encourage you before you leave today to, to chat with one of the team and to pray with them. Because you just may, you, you're just on the verge of making this great exchange. But I'm just going to pray for you. And I'd like you to pray this with me. And this is you choosing to follow now. Choosing that exchange. And then as soon as I've finished, we'll burst into song, won't we, John? Okay, pray this with me, uh, you three. And perhaps everybody else could pray for them while we're praying. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for today. Thank you that there was a day when you chose to encounter this blind man and there's a day that you chose to encounter me. And Lord, I want to see you. I want to make that great exchange. I come today to the cross of Jesus and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I no longer want to be separated from you. In fact, I ask you to forgive me so that I can now receive the gift of eternal life because I'm forgiven. And just as you saw that man, you see me and you love me. And I now receive your love. And I ask you to come into my life and to be my Lord and my Savior, my friend and my Father. Today and every day. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.